welcome to episode 23 of She Existed. Today I hope you don't mind, um, I have a bit of an unorthodox and kind of all over the place episode for you. I'm not going to focus on a woman of history and or legend. Well, I mean, there actually is one in the episode. Like, I, I can't not do the theme. <laughs> but mostly, really, I'm going to focus on cats. Yes, you heard that right. So, last Friday, uh, Adam and I made the very, very difficult choice to put our dear, sweet Casanova to sleep. He was a beautiful, beautiful orange Himalayan cat, just the light of our lives. And uh, if you don't want to hear some pretty sad shit, just go ahead and skip ahead a minute or so. I'm not going to be bad. I'll yell to get your attention back. I get it. This isn't everyone's cup of tea. But um, choosing to let Cass go was easily one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. Uh, He was only nine years old, but already had really advanced kidney failure. He was diagnosed with this back in March and had improved with a little bit of medication and uh, regular watering, as we called it, subcutaneous water injections. But in the last few weeks, things were starting to be a real challenge. Uh, I think the worst part is that, you know, he was still having some good moments, you know, uh, middle and end of last week. And I really struggled with that fact because he wasn't always in pain, just increasingly so. But over the preceding few days uh, before we made the call, it had become very clear that his life was getting harder, it was not getting easier, and it was going to continue to to get harder and harder. Uh, He was in a lot of pain, and despite uh, his waterings twice a day, he was so thirsty that the morning of his last vet visit, he actually got into the shower and soaked himself uh, while I was showering, even though he really hated getting his fur wet when he was healthy. So I've always said I wanted to be the kind of person who wouldn't wait until the very last awful moment to put a beloved pet to sleep. I mean, like, full disclosure, I kind of hope someone does the same thing for me someday. Like, as soon as my mind or most of my independence goes, like, I do not still want to be on this earth. But I, I'm glad that it turned out to be true, that that we had the strength to make the call. But damn, it was so, so shitty. And we spent some quality time with him on the terrace, uh, where he got to explore outside world, outside of a cat carrier for the first time. And then we took him to the vet, um, and she agreed that he was entering the final stage of his life and his advanced disease. And in some ways, she validated the decision we had already previously made. And I don't know if you know much about putting a pet to sleep, but first they literally put them to sleep, and then they do a final injection into the heart. So... Apparently, a lot of times people will leave after the going to sleep part because the pet is unconscious at that point. But I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go. Um, I insisted that we stay with him, petting him throughout the whole process, uh, not just the putting to sleep part, because I couldn't bear the thought that he might still somehow be alert in there. Like those coma patients you hear about sometimes who can actually hear their loved ones talking to them even though they can't respond. So we waited. And Adam even sang one of Cass's many, many theme songs as his breathing slowed and eventually stopped. Casanova was a cheerful, loving little fellow. He didn't love to be confined, so aggressive snuggles were definitely out of the question, but he loved to be near us all the time. He had famously long and soft orange fur that sometimes got styled into a lion cut that he loved very much. (laughs) He had tiny little freckles on his mouth and nose, and a sweet little meow that greeted us every time we came home. He was with me through some of the most diverse, formative years of my life. 
from Brooklyn and New York to Nashville to Italy, both Rome and Torino, and it is not an over-exaggeration to say that my life isn't going to be the same without him. <sighs> life is hard sometimes, y'all. Really, really hard. Okay, if you skipped ahead because it was going to be sad, now's your moment. Jump back in. Okay, so, as I said, this week, in honor of my little buddy, my little companion, and, frankly, the longest relationship of my life, Casanova, I'm going to talk to you about cats. Uh, we were obviously really sad all weekend. In fact, it has been a super intense handful of days. Like, we had an offer on an apartment accepted. Yay! Then we were turned down for mortgages uh, several times. Boo. Cat passed away. Worst thing ever. Then we got approval to be vaccinated, finally. Yay! So we'll see how those side effects things go, because we uh, went and got our shots this morning. Um, and then we had, like, a tiny, shiny beacon of hope on the mortgage front that's still kind of working out so far. But basically, um, I'm, a, I'm super strung out. Like, I have no emotions left, really. So naturally, I suggested that we relax a little bit by going to the Egypt Museum. Now, I'm going to bet that you don't know this, because I certainly didn't before I moved here, but Turin has the world's second largest collection of Egyptian artifacts, second only to, like, actual Cairo in actual Egypt. Why? Who knows? Just kidding. Some rich dude, uh, probably like a king or something, was like really into Egypt a long while back. And you know how sometimes you get a reputation for liking something, and then all of a sudden every Christmas and birthday is like themed for that thing? Like it is mind-boggling how many garbage products capitalism produces for every theme. Like chicken everything, tea infusers, koozies, lighters, license plates. One year, I decided to do a unicorn theme for my sister's birthday, so I went into every shop in my dad's small town in Florida to buy any unicorn thing they had, and every single store actually had something. And beyond that, I got to have, like, a really incredibly awkward moment with a shopkeeper who was like, how old's your sister? Clearly expecting the answer to be four, and so when I said 27, she kind of freaked out. <laughs> anyway, uh, this wealthy uh, Torinese bros thing is Egypt. Loves Egypt. Loves everything about the culture, or at least thinks it's cool and interesting and macabre. Who knows? Uh, so people help him grow his collection, which then took on a life of its own. And even after he died, people just kept adding to that collection. This is obviously a long story short. Well, not really. Uh, I've been talking for a while now. But basically, I'm not going to expand too much about the history of the museum uh, right now at this moment, because frankly, I have mixed feelings about museums that like co-opt massive amounts of a different country's historically important treasures. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Times were different back in the day when they were going and ransacking these places, and we can't change that. And uh, these exhibits and these pieces of, of history are now part of the host country's history now too, blah blah blah. But I think a couple hundred years living in a new country versus like several thousand years in its home country is pretty negligible. And yes, I am looking right at you, British Museum. <clears throat> but we went to the Egypt Museum anyway, and it was pretty freaking rad because sometimes we can enjoy complicated things. I mean, do you eat chocolate? Yeah, then you know exactly what I mean. So Egyptians, as you probably know, held cats in super high esteem. They didn't really worship them exactly, contrary to popular belief, but they were often used as depictions of gods who were worshipped. A small but important difference. Uh, they're like 
boatloads of mummified cats. I am going to share some pics on the Instagram because we saw like dozens of them. So to start, let's actually make this somewhat in line with the theme of the podcast. Like I said, I would definitely try to do. Let's talk about the Egyptian cat goddess. Nope, not Bastet. She's the super famous one, of course. But since this is a podcast about little known women of history and or legend, we're going to be talking about Maftet. Have you ever heard of Maftet? Me neither. <laughs> but Maftet actually predates Bastet, believe it or not. Like many Egyptian deities, she was sometimes a woman with cat-like features, often shown wearing the skin of a cheetah, lynx, or leopard, but sometimes was depicted as a cat herself, either in whole or as a cat body with a woman's head or a woman's body with a cat head. Pretty sweet. She was the defender of Ra, the god of the sun, and sometimes called the piercer of darkness, who ensured the coming of the dawn each night. Like real cats, she hunted threatening vermin, especially snakes. Now the cool bit is that Maftet is associated with justice and capital punishment. The legends say that Maftet tore out the hearts of evildoers, bringing them triumphantly to the pharaoh. You may recognize this little act from her minions, real cats, who echo her actions in their bringing of birds or mice to their humans. Our kitties never did that because they uh, are and were indoor cats. Um, but I'm sure if we had let them outside, they would have brought... No, they wouldn't. They're, they're totally useless. <laughs> they can't even catch a string. So maybe Cass and Z wouldn't have done Maftet entirely proud, but uh, I love them anyway. Okay, so one thing we know absolutely for sure is that Maftet's likeness was depicted on the executioner's staff of office. And in Duat, which is the Egyptian realm of the dead, the pharaoh's enemies were decapitated with a weapon that was called Maftet's claw. Rawr. Maftet lost some popularity as the years stretched on. Uh, she had a questionable role to play in Osiris's story, for instance. But her early popularity underscores the importance of cats to real-life actual Egyptians. I came across a story from a scrap of papyrus. Um, like, <laughs> I was so dead yesterday, I was just like googling like, cool cat stories in history. I got down this like really weird rabbit hole, but I came across a story that I want to share with you from a scrap of papyrus that emphasizes this importance, the importance of cats in real life Egyptians' lives. Um, I found it quite randomly, and upon further investigation, I found that the best citation and write-up was by someone only known as J. Cromwell and L. Prada on the website papyrus-stories.com. They wrote a larger article all about cats in Egypt. It's really interesting. But bear with me here, because I'm actually going to quote their version of this story, and there's also going to be a quote from the papyrus within it, so a quote within a quote. Kind of frustrating, I know, but I couldn't find any original translations of this particular papyrus fragment. Uh, one translation I found only translated a different part of the papyrus that was about funeral rites, and simply like had a little addendum note that said, another piece of this archive, quote, contains a problem with kittens rather than any funerary rites. And all I can really say to that is like, who are you, historian? Who finds and has access to understanding an ancient Egyptian story about kittens and chooses not to focus on that one? I mean, funerary rites are cool too, but like, come on, kittens. Anyway, so yes, like a little peek behind the She Existed curtain here. 
I do try to use as many primary sources as I possibly can and as many different sources as I possibly can to corroborate what I ultimately share with you. Accuracy is really important to me. Now, I may not always give bibliographies or extensively cite because this is more of a storytelling hobby podcast than a, than a hardcore history one, really. Uh, but in this case, J. Cromwell and L. Prada's version of the story is my only source. So I'd rather cite uh, him or her or them uh, directly rather than just paraphrase their already secondhand story based on a translation that they had access to. So I'm going to quote from here. I'll let you know when I'm done. On 20th April, either 202 or 178 BCE, an embalmer named Onophrus wrote to Makatus, an official in the village of Tanis in the Fiam Semi Oasis, concerning kittens he had donated to the cat goddess Bastet, also known by her Greek name of Bubastus, or at least had intended to donate. Here's the quote from the papyrus, quote within a quote. Since some kittens were born in my house, and their mother did not attend to them, I went to the temple of Bastet, and asked the dancers, i.e. priests, to come and carry them back to the temple of Bastet. After they did not arrive, but went elsewhere, it happened that the kittens, while they were being weaned by me with milk at home, were snatched by a tomcat and carried out of the house into the street. I rushed down and called for help for those who were present and heard. Thus we stood about, and with difficulty removed one kitten, those who had joined to help, including Phasis, the village scribe, to whom I have given an official testimony of all that had happened. This is based on the translation by R. W. Daniel. Okay, back to uh, the story from our friends. The tomcat killed some of the kittens, even though this is not explicitly stated, perhaps intentionally so, out of religious propriety regarding such an unholy happening. The loss of sacred animals is why Anophorus sounds so panicky in this petition. Anophorus then collected the surviving kitten and took it to the temple of Bastet, handing it over to some of its priests, the same people who had neglected to collect the kittens from his house before the incident took place. To protect himself from future accusations that he acted improperly in this situation, he asked the village scribe Phasis, an eyewitness to the tomcat's attack, to write down Anophorus's account of events. Additionally, as an added level of protection, Anophorus also had this plea written, Another quote from the papyrus. So that I am not later denounced in an unseemly way, certain persons having acted maliciously, I beg and request you that, having subscribed regarding each of these statements, text lust. Okay, so that's it for the quote, the quote within a quote. That is the story. But it's pretty fascinating, right? Anophris is obviously, like, super, super stressed about this entire situation. Obviously, it's pretty disturbing to... Uh, interact with dead kittens regardless, but clearly he thinks that he might be in some serious trouble if anyone discovers his association with said dead kittens. I mean, we mourn their loss anyway, but it sounds like he's straight up worried about legal or social ramifications or possibly someone using this knowledge against him, uh, per the second bit of papyrus translated, to the point where his first instinct is to get his side of the story officially down on papyrus like stat. And that, I think, is a pretty great example of just how important cats were uh, for everyday Egyptians. So thank you, thank you, thank you for bearing with me for this possibly very incoherent episode. Uh, I guess I'll know when I edit it shortly. You might want to look up uh, Cats in Ancient Egypt. That is an actual Wikipedia page that you can learn about. 
Maftet, that's the goddess, M-A-F-D-E-T. And if you're curious um, to see pictures of my, my sweet departed boy, Casanova, he has his own Instagram. It is at Casanova the Little Lion Cat. It has um, underscores between each word. So that's at Casanova the Little Lion Cat. He was so cute and so sweet and so fluffy, and we miss him so much. So thank you for listening, and hug your pets. I'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.